Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Or you can join us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. Well, today is a good day. Uh, We are closing out a series that I believe has been powerful. It's been impactful in our lives, a series that we're calling Grateful. Grateful. We are now... Feel it? We are less than two weeks away from Thanksgiving Day, all right? Can I just get a, oh, okay, from all my fellas who are ready to put down some sweet potato casserole, okay? It's coming. I'm fired up about that. Uh, man, we all know the Thanksgiving drill. We know how that works, man. It's a day, all right, or maybe a couple of days for some of you with multiple facets of family. Or we gather around food and family and a lot of us with football, okay? And we love those days. We know how the drill works for Thanksgiving. But in this series, here's what we've done is we've flipped everything upside down to say, man, what if, what if we we don't just become people who are grateful and thankful on one day because the calendar or culture says that's what you're supposed to do. But what if we literally became people that allow gratefulness, that we became so overflowing with gratitude, that it affected not just one day, but it affected every day, every moment of our lives, that it became the attitude and the response that we live with. So I don't know about you, but there have been multiple times over the last few weeks as we've been in this series where I have wanted to complain, all right, just being honest, okay? I've even gotten the first words out of a complaint, like they've come out of my mouth, and God, like a really good dad that he is, just kind of grabs me around the neck, and he stops me, and he goes, what about that grateful boy? Okay, I don't know why God sounds like that, but he just does in Rankin County, all right, that's how he corresponds, and man, he stopped me to go, what about gratitude? And God's been, he literally using this series as I teach you and we interact in this together to, to change my heart, to change my attitude, and maybe even begin to change my thinking. I hope the same things happen for you. If you missed any of our series, you can go back on our website and catch up with, uh, with where we've been. But what we've seen is that complaining is the easy route. Okay, we can all get good at complaining. And scripture's actually even told us that complaining comes from everywhere and everyone. Here's been our verses that have kind of shaped our series. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Here's what it says, New Living Translation, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Scripture says complaining comes from everywhere, everyone, about just about everything, does it not? Okay, we can all be good at complaining, but the antidote we've said to complaining is this, is being grateful. And Paul actually writes in Philippians, he says, when you choose to be full of gratitude, when that's what overflows out of your life, what happens is you become like a bright light for Jesus in a very dark world. So that's been the challenge for all of us all series long. So today I want us to look at one last passage of scripture that challenges us towards being grateful. So if you have a copy of scripture, go Colossians chapter 3. Um, if you go to the New Testament, second half of your Bible, somewhere right in the middle, you're going to find Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. We're going to be in Colossians today, chapter 3, and if you don't have a hard or digital copy of Scripture just to keep open, we'll put some verses behind me on the screen for you to follow along. Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to just look at three verses today, verses 15 through 17. So I want to read them, and then we're going to go back and kind of talk through some truths that Paul talks about in this passage. Verse 15, Colossians 3 says it this way. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. 
And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, just like this passage that we read last week from Philippians 4, Paul is writing Colossians, this letter, from a prison cell. And although Paul is sitting, let's be real, in one of the places it's most, hard, it's most difficult to choose gratitude, he begins laying out what it looks like to live a grateful life. So today I want us to examine just these three verses from Paul's letter and put it up against our lives today in 2019 to go, man, what would it look like for me to live as a person who is overflowing with gratitude? Last week, we looked at how to choose gratefulness in the trials of life. We all face them, and last week we talked about how to choose gratitude there. Today I want us to zoom out, and I want us to finish off our series with this, this overwhelming thought of how do we live a grateful life? Can it be done? What does that look like? Is it possible. And so in this passage, Paul lays out a few truths. And so I want us to, to identify those and then apply them to our lives. So the first thing that he points out on how to be grateful in all things is what we'll say this way, to pursue peace. Paul says pursue peace. In verse 15 that we just read, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now, important question we got to answer is what is the peace of Christ? What is Paul talking about. Now, there's two different angles, two different perspectives on peace, and we got to understand that if we're going to get it right, okay? First, there is a personal peace, and then there's also what we'll call a relational peace. There's a personal peace and a relational peace. It is essential to understand you can never have relational peace with others until you first have a personal peace with God. Now, the truth of the gospel starts at a place of depravity, it starts at a place where you and I, every single one of us, chose to live life for our own desires, for our own purposes, separate from the relationship that God created us for. Therefore, there was no peace between us and God. That's where it starts. But the good news of the gospel is that God longed for peace with us, that he came after you and he came after me in my brokenness in the choices that I had made, in my shame and guilt and regret, even in my self-righteousness, thinking that I could be good enough, and God in his great mercy pursued peace with us. And scripture tells us that, that, the, that God made a way for peace with us and God, that personal peace to be restored. Look at how Paul says it, Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we've been made right through faith, we have what? We have peace with God. How does that come? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when you surrender your life into relationship with Jesus, Paul says that through that faith, because of Jesus, peace is restored to you and God. There's a personal peace between you and God. That's great news today. And here's what comes with that personal peace. With that personal peace comes the ability to have relational peace with others around you. See, that when you begin to really understand God's redemption work, his changing work, his grace in your life, then, and only then, do you understand the grace and forgiveness to live with peace to those around you. It starts with a personal peace with God. And then Paul says in verse 15, he says, when you've been gripped by the grace of God, the peace of God, here's what you should do. He says, you should let it rule in your hearts. Or we could say it this way, it should direct your life. Now, the original word for peace in this moment, here's what it meant. It meant to arbitrate or to make an authoritative judgment. 
the picture is literally given um, of an umpire. How many of you, uh, dads, moms, maybe even as well, like you've had the opportunity to umpire, referee, sports, any level, rec ball, church ball, okay, you, you've ever put on a black and white shirt or the blue shirt, you, okay, some of you, you're like, I don't know, there may be some parents in the room, okay, you, you were a little hesitant to put your hand up, okay, when I was in college, young adult years, I had the opportunity to referee a good bit of basketball all right, in my life, and it was a great blessing that I'm grateful for. What I learned is that people are not really big fans of the referees and umpires. Like, they're just not, okay? And in those games all right, of very young age level, all right, I saw some mamas, all right, some grandmamas, some daddies, okay, lose their ever-living mind, all right, over a single call that I made in that moment. Okay, I know, listen, I know none of you would ever or have ever done that. I'm just saying I've seen it happen before. And in that moment, okay, man, they let me know what they think. It wasn't like an internalized, I'm not happy with you. It was like, I'm going to let you know how happy I am not with you in this moment. And they vocalized that. And it was a great blessing in my life. I learned to be grateful in all things, all right? But in that moment, listen to me, it doesn't matter, all right, how upset, how frustrated the fan or the parent gets the call that the referee or the umpire makes is the final call. It sets the standard for the moment. Here's what Paul is saying about peace in your life and mine. That peace, when you are gripped by the grace of Jesus, you should pursue peace so strongly that in all situations, in all relationships, peace makes the final call. That peace sets the standard. That it is the authoritative voice in your life in what you do and how you live. Practically, that means that in that relationship with your spouse, peace should be what you pursue. Let's get real now. All right? In that relationship with that hard-to-deal-with boss that you will return to tomorrow, peace should be what makes the final call. In the relationship with your parents where there may be tension right now or there's been tension for a long time, Peace is the end goal. Peace is what should be pursued. At all times, in all circumstances, peace is the standard. And before you say, oh, but that's so hard, remember what we said. You can never find true relational peace with others until there is first true personal peace between you and God. When you understand his forgiveness, the depth of his grace in your life, then you are set up to pursue relational peace with others. Now, there's another important part of this verse, this truth that I think we have to see. And towards the end of verse 15, Paul wrote this. He says, pursue peace, let it rule, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. I want us all to see today that part of the peace of Christ is found when we belong to Christ's family. When we belong to Christ's family. God has called you to belong to a spiritual family through the local church. And Paul says it this way, Romans 12, verse 5, I love how he says it. He says, so in Christ, if you're following him, though many, we're all different people, we form one body and each member belongs to all the others. I want to say this truth that I say all the time. God did not create you to do life alone. He did not design you to do life alone. However, I watch people week after week suffer alone, struggle alone, be overwhelmed alone, 
because they have deserted the peace and the protection of being a part of the church that God called them to belong in. Story is told of an old pastor who went to go see a member, a guy who was a member of his church who he hadn't seen at church in a long time. And he walks into the old guy's house, and the guy is sitting all alone in front of a fire in his fireplace. And the pastor pulls up a chair next to him, shakes his hand, says hello, and after that, the room grows really quiet. And the two men kind of awkwardly sit there and look at the fire in the fireplace, no one saying anything. So the pastor reaches over, and he grabs some tongs next to the fireplace, and he reaches into the fire, and he pulls out this burning ember, and he sets it on the brick right outside of the fire. And the two men just sit there. And as the one man watches this burning ember that was on fire slowly fade out and grow cold and dead, the pastor just watches him. And right before the pastor goes to leave, he takes the same tongs, picks up that now dead cold ember, and he puts it back into the fire. And almost immediately, the warmth of the fire the embers around it cause it to light up once again, bright as it was before. As the pastor goes to walk out the door, the man looks at him and shakes his hand, and he says, thank you for the sermon, pastor. I'll see you at church on Sunday. Listen to me, church. God did not create you to do life alone. You are not intended to do life alone. Alone, you will grow cold and dead in your faith but surrounded by the body of believers as imperfect as it may be will stir in you the fire, the passion, the motivation, the love to follow Jesus in your life alone. You cannot realize and recognize the full purpose of peace that God has for you, but it is done in the body of Christ. One of the ways that you pursue peace is through belonging to a church family and then consistently gathering with that family. Can I just tell you, one of the greatest lies of the enemy is that you don't need spiritual community. You're too busy for spiritual community. You don't belong anyway. He'll sell you that joker all day long and we buy it hook, line, and sinker Especially when life goes off the deep end, oh, I got to get this thing right before I belong again. And God goes, no, that's not how I created you. I created you to belong, and in belonging, you can pursue peace personally, you can pursue peace with others, and you can be a part of this family that I've created you to find life and warmth and hope and truth and joy in. See, to live a life that is grateful, it requires, okay, it requires pursuing peace personally, with others, and through a community at all costs so that it rules. It's what makes the final call in our life. Look back with me at verse 16. Paul says this next. Let's refresh our minds. He says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach, as you admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Here's the second truth Paul reveals, all right? How to live a grateful life is is what we'll say this way, is to dwell in truth. Verse 16 says that you should dwell in truth. Now, the word dwell is probably not a word that you use quite often, but it means literally to live, to think, to speak about a particular something. Um, I like this picture. Dwell gives us this picture of someone who is totally consumed with something. It is all-encompassing in their life. They speak about it, they think about it, they live for that thing that they are dwelling in. That's what Paul says. He said, truth should be what you base your life on. It should be what you dwell in. 
Now, if that's where we dwell, where do we get it? Where do we find truth? The news? They'll tell you something. Social media? All right, the conversation at work? Google? It's pretty smart, right? I think we understand that's not foundational truth, but let's be real. That's where so much of the world goes to find truth that would, they could base their life on. But Paul says, listen to me, that's not foundational eternal truth that you can dwell in, that gives you peace, that gives you a grateful spirit. So there are two different ways in verse 16, maybe you didn't catch them, but two different ways that he highlights exploring and finding truth. And I want us to catch those today because they're, they're applicable, they're important to our lives. First way that he says we encounter truth is through teaching and admonishing one another with truth through the Word of God. That we would teach and admonish one another with truth through the Word of God. Now, if you're maybe kind of new to our family, all right, or maybe you just need a good reminder, there are multiple ways that we try to dwell in truth as a spiritual family together, all right? One is happening right now. Every week we gather at 8.30, 10 o'clock, 11.30, and as a part of that gathering, we dwell in the truth of God's word together. We present the fun, fluffy stuff that's encouraging, and then we present the hard truth that rubs up against our lives and causes us to change. We dwell in that truth together. We also do it through what's called small groups, all right, through, through what we call life groups. It's small groups of people, men, women, couples, young adults, students, and they gather together around the promises and the truth of God's word, all right? And here's what happens in that moment, all right? Life and life rub on each other in similar seasons of life, and they talk about the truth of God's word. They're not theologians. They're real people, just like you. And they gather together because they want to dwell in truth because they want it to set the foundation for their life. We also have opportunities maybe you've never heard of before called, we just call it life-to-life learning where we take somebody who's a little more mature in their faith and we connect them one-on-one, partner with them, somebody who's maybe a little newer in their faith. They're still longing to grow and learn. And we partner them in a relationship so that they can dwell and grow in truth together. So let me ask you, okay? How are you doing as a part of the, the body, the family? How are you doing at dwelling in truth in those ways? What does that look like for you? See, here's the thing. You make your own decisions about the truth foundation that you set for your life. No one can hold your hand in that. You decide what's a priority. You decide what's important and where you're hearing truth from. And as your pastor, as your friend, as another brother in Christ who's trying to dwell my life in truth, man, I just, I call you, I challenge you to consistently gather in truth in those ways. Why? Because you need more to do? No. No. Because God's word calls us to do that. And if we do, then God begins to produce this peace, this gratefulness, this joy in our life that he cannot do when you're alone. And he calls us together together. We never get too old or too mature in our faith to not need to dwell in truth with others. You never hit that arrival moment. Here's what Paul says, Romans 10, 17. He says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So how do you expose yourself to truth that you dwell in? Well, first we do it through teaching and admonishing. We do that together. But there's a second thing that Paul pointed to, and we also experience truth through this, through worship in music. It happens. Verse 16, Paul says it's so clear. Here's what he says. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, 
hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Now, Paul mentions three different kinds of songs. Did you catch them? Okay, let's list them real quick. First, he says psalms. Right? That's Old Testament psalms. You can read that biggest book in the Bible right there in the middle. And it's full of what? It's full of psalms, declarations back to God. He's second, he said there's hymns. These are songs of praise that they would be used for moments of celebration all throughout Scripture. All right? Hymns. Then he says songs of the Spirit. Or maybe your version says spiritual songs indicating songs that did this. They recounted the acts of God. And then they celebrated God's faithfulness. They told him, God, you're good. God, you're faithful. Or you come through generation to generation. And Paul says, watch this, when you take part in singing and declaring those kinds of songs, you experience dwelling in truth. That there is great purpose in that. And so I just want to take a moment in the middle of the message today just to, like, can we just say thank you to God? Can we show our gratitude for the team of people who lead us in worship through music each week, man. Can we just thank them? Man, there's some of you, some of you even in the room today, whether you're on stage today or, or, or you uh, lead in other weeks, man, they lead us so well through instruments, through vocals, through technical abilities. They lead us all right, to sing and to respond to God in worship. And I just want to say, like, some of you have no idea This group of people, they show up at 6.30 a.m. every Sunday before some of you have even, like, woken up. They're here in the building. And they prepare themselves for hours during the week to come hang out for a couple of hours on a 6.30 on a Sunday morning to then lead. Not in one of our gatherings, but in all three of them, all day. They'll be the first ones in the building and many times the last one to leave. And they do so with such an incredible level of excellence and a heart to serve through worship and music. You see, every week that um, I teach, I get a chance to gather with that team before we come out to each one of our gatherings. And we talk together, and we pray together. It's a little meeting. Maybe you never even knew it happened. And, and I just want to kind of let you in. And when, when we talk and we pray, we think about man, what, what God wants to say for the day. And we pray for you. Can I just tell you, in, in years of doing that, you know what we've never prayed for, ever? We've never prayed together that you would be entertained. Never prayed that. We've never prayed together like, oh, God, would you just, would you move them emotionally? Make them cry, God. We've never prayed that. They've never, I've never once heard them pray. God, would you move them to walk out of the room and go, wow, that band was phenomenal. Never prayed that, not one time. You know what we do pray every single time? God, would you help them to experience truth? God, would you use music today to point their heart towards truth that could literally change their life? God, would you do that? You see, that is the response of a grateful heart overflowing through worship. So what is dwelling in truth through music and worship look like? What, what does that look like? I think it looks like a lot of different things. Sometimes it looks like this contemplative response where you read the words on the screen and you pray those things back to God. God, make that true of my life. God, I can't sing that because it's not true right now. And so God, would you do something in my heart? Would you do something in my mind? Sometimes it looks like that. I think sometimes, man, it looks like, man, closing our eyes so that we can focus 
on what we're saying, that we can think about God despite all the distractions around us, we can focus. I think sometimes it could look like that. Sometimes, man, I think it could look like bowing before God as you sing in reverence to go, God, you are, you are holy, and I'm not. Man, this is all I know how to physically respond to you. Sometimes, man, I think it's good and it's right to clap our hands together, no matter how offbeat we may be, but to go, God, man, I celebrate you. And this is the, the biggest outward response that I can make, but thank you, God. I think sometimes it moves us to a place where maybe we raise our hands and surrender to God to go, God, I celebrate you. I praise you. There's no one like you, God. I think sometimes the response looks like that. Listen to me. There's not a perfect response. There's not. But if you're in Christ and you've been changed by his grace and love, there has to be a response. It has to come out. The psalmist says it this way, Psalm 47, verse 7, for God is the king of all the earth. He's in control. He's sovereign. So what are we going to do? Sing to him. Psalm of praise. It's got to come out. You see, as followers of Jesus, we don't get to say, well, hey, I'm, I don't really like the music part. I'm not the singing kind. Like, I'm not down with the music. I don't know those songs. We don't get to say that, no, because Scripture says it's an essential part of us dwelling in truth. And dwelling in truth is an essential part of becoming grateful. And you know what happens the more you dwell in truth? Through worship, through the Word, you dwell, you dwell, you dwell. You know what happens? The easier it becomes for you to drown out and close out the lies of the world and the lies of the enemy. Because they're coming. So you choose what you're going to dwell in. And Paul says if you want to be grateful, like, if you want to live that way, let that define your life. You choose to dwell in truth, and you pursue peace. Let it rule in your life. There's one final verse that I believe gives us this final truth, and it's verse 17. Let's read it again. It says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, and give thanks to God, the Father, through him. All right, here's our final truth. The final way Paul reveals on how to live a grateful life, we'll say it this way, is be thankful in all things. Be thankful in all things. I love that Paul doesn't say here in the middle of Colossians, I love that he doesn't say, hey, be thankful on a Thursday in November because that's what's going to be right. That's not what he wrote. I love that he doesn't say, hey, be thankful when others are looking because you got an image to protect. He didn't go there. He doesn't even say, hey, be thankful on social media so that you can look like you got it all together with all your friends and followers. Like, get it together, right? Not what he says. No, he says here, whatever you do, whatever you do, give thanks. Or we could say it this way, give thanks to God in all, all things. The response of a grateful life overflows with gratitude and thanksgiving in all things. I love how Paul writes it this way in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Paul says, a life of gratefulness begins when you live life not for yourself, but for the glory of God and the name of Jesus in all things. Not just the Sunday things, but in all things. Being thankful in all things requires a perspective that's not of this world. Some of you will recognize uh, the name Nick Foles. Anybody recognize the name Nick Foles? Okay, got some, some Nick Foles 
Philadelphia Eagles fans may be in the house, okay? Nick Foles uh, in 2017, he's an NFL player. That means National Football League, okay, for some of you. You're, you're coming around. Welcome to the party today, all right? He, he plays, uh, he's a football player. Helmet, pads, whole deal, okay? He's one of those guys who throws the ball, for all those of you cluing in, okay? So he plays for, he, in 2017, he was the backup quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. And in that season, the starting quarterback, about two-thirds of the way through the season, got hurt. Season-ending injury, he ain't coming back. And Nick Foles was moved from backup quarterback to starting quarterback. He not only just became a pretty good backup quarterback, but he led the Eagles all the way to the Super Bowl where they not just played, but they actually won. And Nick Foles was the Super Bowl MVP as a backup quarterback. Pretty cool. This past offseason, if you follow the NFL, all my fantasy guys in the room, Nick Foles got traded from the Philadelphia Eagles to the Jacksonville Jaguars where he was dubbed the starting guy. He was the man. This was his team. And in week one... Very first game of the whole season, Foles gets hit, hurt, breaks his clavicle bone, has to undergo surgery, loses his starting position, and ultimately was told he would be out for months to recover and rehab. Well, this past week, it was announced that Foles is healthy again. He's rehabbed. He's back. And it's his team again. And this past week, there was a press conference where the media looked at him and they said, hey, Nick, when your clavicle broke and you knew you were going down for months, it wasn't your team anymore. Did you ever doubt? Were you ever worried? Were you ever so concerned? Like, man, I'm losing my spot. Why does this happen? This was my new team. And Nick gave a response that I thought was so good, we all needed to hear it today. Here's what Nick said. Right when I felt it break, I went into the locker room and I realized, God, this wasn't exactly what I was thinking. But at the end of the day, if this is the journey you want me to go on, I'm going to glorify you in every action, good or bad. I still could have joy even in an injury. People hear that and they say, that's crazy. But when you believe in Jesus, that changes your heart. We tend to make this so much about us as human beings. It's not about us. If you make it about yourself, you're probably going to go home at night, lay your head on your pillow, and be very alone and very sad. He goes on to say, from a spiritual perspective, I've been able to grow as a human being, and I feel like I'm at a better situation as a person right now than I was because of the trial I just went under. I believe if you read the Word of God and you understand it, there's trials along the way, but they equip your heart to be who you are. That is the picture of being grateful in all things because that's the perspective of not living life for self. See, being thankful in all things requires an understanding that all things aren't about you. So how could that change your life? I mean, how, how could that perspective shift in you, in your heart, in your mind, change your life as you go, this isn't really all about me, but it's about me living my life in all things for the glory of God and the name of Jesus. Like what, how could that change the way that you go to work tomorrow? Total mindset shift. Students, what would that look like? Like if you took that perspective to school tomorrow, how would that change the way that you impact and think about your teachers, the students around you, those that you get along with, those you don't? 
How could that change your family life and the way that you live in your home today? How would that totally flip your approach to social life if you went, God, it's not about me in all things for you, for your glory and your name. This is why I live. And I choose to be thankful in all things. Listen to me. When you live a grateful life, Jesus is not a segment of your life, but he is the foundation that you live everything out of. And that's why in this series, man, we've been taking on what we call really simply 25 days to grateful. It's a little really simple, really practical, little next step that we've challenged all of our family to, where from a couple of weeks ago, all the way through Thanksgiving Day, Thursday, November 28th, we're challenging ourselves to journal, put in your phone, write on a post-it, three things every day. Three things, that's it, not a book, just three things that you're grateful for. And we think that in that, we could possibly honor God, and God might even use it to reshape and rewire our thinking in the way that we view and respond to the world around us. Man, it's been so cool to watch that kind of happen, and, and we've jumped on that train. We're, I think we're like 14 days into that now. And so for some of you, maybe you're, you're new to the series, you haven't heard about the challenge, but I think it'd be awesome for you to jump in with us, okay? And some of you, you've taken the next step. You've taken, all right, the gratefulness that God is growing in you. You put it on social media. We've given you a little hashtag, hashtag 25 days to grateful. Man, write that thing down if you want to go. Like, man, I want to put it out there, okay? And perhaps the most negative society that we live in, all right? Social media, we've gone, hey, what if it looked like the goodness of God full in us, grateful in us, overflowing into how we live and how we speak here to honor God and maybe to impact others around us? And so, man, if you haven't jumped in, we got like 10 days left. For some of you, it's like, mm, you probably need to go another 20, another 30, another 40, okay, to really let that mindset shift begin to happen in your heart. But I think it could honor God. I think it could really begin to change something in us. I'm at my house. We've taken on the, the 25 Days to Grateful Challenge, okay? Uh, my wife and I and our kids trying to walk that thing out. And uh, so my six-year-old son has chosen, at the beginning of this whole challenge, he chose to put up 25 different Post-it notes on his door. I brought a picture so you could, guys could kind of look at what, that's the entrance to his room. All right, right there, 25 different notes. And every day, all right, he pulls out his pen and his six-year-old handwriting, man, he writes out the three things that he thinks of and that's awesome, and there's some really good stuff on there. That he writes, These are my three things I'm thankful for. There's uh, one morning this past week where my son woke up and came into the room where my wife and I were way too early. Okay, any parents just identify with that right there. Okay, you got that kid that gets up before the sun comes up, okay? I don't know what the rebuttal is to that, all right? But if you figure that thing out, how to keep him in the bed, I'm all down with that, all right? Um, and so my son, my six-year-old, he does that quite frequently. That's like kind of his routine. When he wakes up, he comes to see mom and dad, no matter what time of the morning it is, all right? And uh, if it's before the sun comes up, we're not up, all right? And so you should go back to bed too. But he walks in, and the interesting thing is always trying to figure out, like, whose side of the bed is he going? go to first. Anybody else live with that tension right there? Okay. So listen, don't, don't tell my wife. All right. Um, but when he walks in, if I'm still wiped out, all right, man, I, I just lay there real still. You, you too? Yeah. Uh-huh. You need to fess up too. Man, I lay there real still with my eyes closed like I'm asleep, and I just pray, God, would you please allow him to be a blessing to my wife in this moment? Would you just send him to the other side, uh, to the streets of Jericho, over on that side, let her minister to him? In the... I do. And so this past week, he walked in, and I'm, I'm telling the truth, okay? Uh, 
I, I heard him walk in, and I just closed my eyes real quick, okay, because I heard him come in the door, and I'm like, God, bless her, bless her, bless her. I, and sure enough, he, he walks over to my wife's side of the bed, and uh, like, I, like I was conscious enough to hear what was going on, but inside, I'm like, we going back to sleep, baby, all right? We, we snoozing for another nine minutes. Here it comes, all right? And, and so he walks over to her side of the bed, and I hear the conversation that begins to happen where he's, he's talking real soft, and, and he discloses to my wife, he's like, I, I've been up for a while. I've been up for a while. And so she asked the appropriate motherly question, what have you been doing, okay? To which my six-year-old son responds, I've been counting my blessings. And in that moment, my eyes just kind of perked up. I was like, what did he say? <laughs> Clearly, I didn't hear that right. My wife asked the clarifying question as well. She said, hold on, what did you say you've been doing? And he says, I've been counting my blessings just like you told me to. And in that moment, as I began to process half asleep, half awake, what my six-year-old had said and what he had done, I thought, yes, that's it. That's it. That's the response of a grateful heart from a grateful person that we would go to bed each night, that we would get up each day, that we would dwell in every moment continually of the day, an attitude that counts our blessings because of the goodness of God. You see, grateful is not the response of a people on one day because we're supposed to. Grateful is the attitude, the mindset of a follower of Jesus daily as we respond to God's goodness to us. So can you live a grateful life? Like, can it, can it really be done in a culture full of complaining and arguing? It's everywhere. Can it be done? I believe so. I think it could happen for you, for me. But it requires you pursuing peace personally, with God, with others. Let it rule in your hearts. I think it requires you dwelling in truth intentionally, choosing to dwell in truth. It's what sets the foundation. And finally, it requires learning. Going, God shaped my mind to be thankful, not in some things, but in all things. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about the exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.